0: Let's open God's Word together. If you're joining us, we are in the midst of one of the most challenging uh, books of the Bible. Challenging because it speaks to our past, it speaks to our present, and it speaks to our future. And we have been working our way through and we've seen this amazing architecture. We've seen how John uses powerful symbols to work beneath our our defenses, and, to, and to, um, to reveal truth to us. or are giving me a signal that if you are a child and you would like to join other children for a special time of worship, you're welcome to stay here, you're welcome to stay, or you're welcome to join your friends uh, for a time of children's worship. They will meet you in the back. Uh, open your, if, if you're with us here um, in the service, open your sermon notes that are in your bulletin for a second, if you would, I'm just going to salute something that I put in there for you uh, because um, I want you to understand the magnitude of the scripture that you're about to hear right here. If you look on the back page, sorry for the big words, it says the chiastic architecture of revelation. Do you see that? Woo! <laughs> Chiasm just, is just an X. It's just, in other words, there's something at the beginning, a prologue, look at the bottom that matches something at the end, an epilogue, Right? There are seven letters then that at the beginning that match the seven angels in the New Jerusalem in the end. There are seven seals, which Pastor Kristen helped us to understand a couple of weeks ago. And they're matched by what's coming, the seven bowls of judgment that are coming. We saw that there are 144,000 Israelites who will come to faith in the end times and and, and that led us into the study of seven trumpets. And, it, and you'll see in Revelation 14 uh, next week that there are 144,000 saints and seven angels. You see how this is working? It's matching, isn't it? It's in, in preaching terms, they call that enveloping something. You start and finish with the same things and work your way toward what is in the middle. And I, and I put it this way on your notes so that you can actually see the arrow, right? Do you see the arrow kind of pointing in? The arrowhead kind of pointing in there. Um, today, we're going to look at some mysterious figures uh, and, and uh, an incredible passage that I believe is the, literally the crux of the book of Revelation. We stopped after our worship rehearsal and said, we have got to stop for a second because this isn't about singing today. This isn't even about um, coming to church today. This is very possibly about one of the most single important passages in all of Scripture and certainly in the book of Revelation. Have I got your attention? Right. Um, and it's all pointing toward our memory verse. If you have your bulletin open, um, I want you to say it first because you'll hear it in just a moment. And, and I want you to be familiar. You'll see the context. Our memory verse today, whether you have your Bible open or whether you have your bulletin open, is Revelation 12, 11. It's a familiar one because in the past, when we tried to summarize on one Sunday the book of Revelation, we've gone right to here. Now you see why. You can see by the architecture why. This verse is one of the most powerful ones. I'm going to read it first and then invite you to read it with me. And they have conquered, look at that past tense, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. and then the, the scripture reference is revelation twelve eleven Would you join me as we say that again together? And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives. Even unto death, and then the address Revelation twelve eleven. Say that address with me from memory. I'll go easy on you. Revelation twelve eleven. Super, super. Let's hear. Let's hear this. We're going to actually cover Revelation twelve and thirteen today, um, but I'm, I'm just going to read to save time. I'm going to just read this first portion. And a great sign, Revelation twelve one, appeared in heaven. You might summarize these. Next, several chapters by the seven signs. Seven signs. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. The imagery is just flying by here. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign. And I have my Bible a little two right there. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads. Sound familiar? Ten horns. And on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she that so that when she bore her child he might devour it. Wow, this is gruesome. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she was. Uh, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. Verse 7, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. The dragon was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. So we're finding out who this dragon is, right? That ancient serpent who is called the devil And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Join me, would you? And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Thank you so much. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe, woe to you, O earth and sea. Note that. For the devil has come down to you in the great wrath because he knows that his time is short. The very word of God. Oh, thank you, God. God, we know that we are touching holy things. We thank you that you have given us forgiveness. We don't have to fear, God, uh, what you have entrusted to us now. But God, these are challenging passages. We need you. Go before us, would you help us, each of us, exactly what we need. Help us to understand exactly what we need for the next step of discipleship that you are asking of us. And I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Wow. Wow. We're going to have to move a little bit fast today, but... Um, I want to encourage you. There's so many opportunities, so many um, places where you can go deeper. Some of them are happening right after the service. You can, those of you who are here, you can stay right after the service and and go deeper into these passages with brothers and sisters who are just like you, who are wanting to know more, to understand more. But as we look at this crucial passage, I just want to remind you uh, that, that we are... Um, we're touching both holy things, but also things that are intentionally cloaked, right? Um, we saw a couple of weeks ago that the seven thunders were spoken and John goes, oh, I'm going to write this down and, and the angel said, don't write it down. This is supposed to be cloaked right now. This is not yet. Um, for, even for the people of, G, of the time of John's writing these things down, things were cloaked in mystery, sometimes to to um, not make the people of God vulnerable, Sometimes, like Proverbs chapter two, to see if God's people will try and understand. Jesus spoke parables, right? Why? It kind of separates um, the seekers from from the from the complacent ones. Will you go further? I got to tell you, I have been just absolutely creamed by. Um, by our study in Revelation. It has pressed me. I've been walking with Jesus for four plus decades. Um, it has pressed me. And there's been so many times where I just want to say, I, I give up. I, just, I'll, you know, I trust you, Jesus. Hope it all pans out in the end, right? And, and, um, and Jesus would not release me. He gives us his word to understand. But I just want to remind you that that things are not arranged chronologically. They're, they're arranged conceptually, especially in these seven visions that we'll be dealing with in the next two weeks. We're going to hit four of them today, and we're going to hit three of them next week. In, in these seven visions, in the middle of Revelation, um, they're not arranged chronologically, but collectively, they give us a picture of the realities that is Right on the edge of our understandings. It's like I prayed earlier that John is pulling back the curtain right on the stage of human history to show us that behind all these earthly circumstances, there are heavenly realities that are being reflected in what we're experiencing. Wow. Wow. Just as uh, Elisha and his servant discovered that there was a whole other spiritual battle going on beyond the physical battle that they were in. So we can discover, too, the the realities that are going on behind the circumstances we've experienced. I want to just give you, just in case you're um, Uh, This is just overwhelming, and I I could just imagine someone stepping into this out of the blue today and going, I am just overwhelmed. Let me just give you a really oversimplistic summary, and then I'll try and unpack it. The first uh, thing I would mention, I don't think this is in your notes, is that nothing has changed. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, nothing has changed. The spiritual warfare that's going on then in the garden is going on now, right? Right? Um, and and the really funny thing is, as much as we attribute to the evil one, all these abilities that his methods haven't changed either. If you if you begin to understand how he works, then 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 you got him. You know, you uh, will be set free from his wiles. I said uh, the first part of the summary is that nothing has changed. I don't know, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. The second part of the summary is everything has changed. Everything has changed. At the cross, Christ won. I'm getting chills down my spine. Christ won the victory, and that changes everything. So we have this opportunity to live in one of two worlds. In the world where nothing has changed, or in the world where everything has changed. And and we can experience the victory that is ours. See, ultimately, nothing in our lives on this earth is just accident. Nothing is just natural things playing off. Everything is ultimately tied. To the supernatural. And this is hard for us. Especially those of us in the United States. Or in the western world. We're, we're so accustomed to, to rationalizing everything. To The world is as I can understand it. Right? But here's the reality. All of our struggles with sin. All of our marital struggles, all of our worries, all of our fears, all of our frustrations and our temptations. Everything is ultimately tied to this cosmic spiritual battle that we're talking about today. Everything is caught up in this battle between Christ and Satan. And when we tap into that, we start to grasp what's going on around us as well. Another simple way of saying, remember, oversimplification, nothing has changed. Everything has changed. Oversimplification. There's stuff going on behind the scenes. And uh, nasty stuff. Beautiful stuff. So let's, let's try and unpack it today. Let's look today at five important elements from the first four visions in Revelations 12 and 13, right? Um, this one's going by so fast as we read it that, that it's easy to get overwhelmed. But let me, let me just pick out some of, the, some of the elements, some of the characters that are, that are revealed to us here in this boom, 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 vision after vision. Who's the first one? This woman, right? This woman about to give birth. Um, who is she? Who is she? Right. Now, our, our, quick, our quick temptation is to jump to this, right? Who would you say if I just asked you a Sunday school question, who's this woman about to give birth? You say Mary, wouldn't you, right? And, and you're not wrong. Mary was a part of this story. Uh, many of us who have studied with Shane on uh, the study of Revelation, he does a pretty cute thing about putting a dragon in the, um, in the Christmas creche, you know. And so there's Jesus, there's, there's Mary and Joseph and the wise men and a red dragon, right? Um, but I want to I just take you one step beyond that and to say, yes, it is Mary, but much more important, it's, it, it's all the people of God. This battle didn't start when Mary was about to give birth. Satan didn't all of a sudden say, oh, I better do something. He was fighting from day one. He was fighting from day one. So uh, this woman is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. That's a direct allusion. Remember last week, four hundred uh, verses in Revelation, five hundred allusions to other scriptures. A direct allusion to Genesis and Joseph's dream, right? Excuse me, Jacob's dream, Jacob's dream, and uh, of, of the sun and the cloud. It was astounding. It was astounding. To to see the reference. So what is he talking about? From the very beginning, when God chose His people to bring the the message of of good news of God's love for the world, we chose His people. Satan has been opposed to that, and several times I can't go into this, but several times it got down to one person that 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 the evil one using human beings would murder every single one of the descendants of Abraham. It got down to one person and and that person was protected and and the promise continued and then and, and you're not wrong that that it comes down to when mary was ready to give birth to a child right if somehow satan could keep the christ from being born then he would win the victory right and he didn't and then the terrible terrible aftermath the slaughter of the innocents, even even um, Herod tried to destroy tried to destroy the Christ child. Satan thought he won the victory when when Jesus was put to death, when he manipulated people who didn 't want to do it, but he manipulated people into putting Christ to death, and God broke even the power of death, and Christ rose from the dead. Who is this woman it 's the people of God. Before Christ, right? The people of God before Christ who are watching for his coming and the people of God after Christ who follow after him. This woman is you. You bear the Christ. I'm looking at Christopher sitting in the back row over there. Tammy named him Christopher Christ Bearer, right? You bear the Christ. Well, who is the child? That's the easy one in this thing. That did not change. That is Jesus Christ. Clearly a reference to Jesus, right? God predicted in Genesis 3 that the seed of woman would crush the serpent's head. And Satan from that moment has tried to prevent this Christ from coming. The the child is the Christ. Who is the dragon? That's an easier one too, isn't it? The dragon, this great red dragon, it actually explains it right in this scripture, is that ancient serpent, Genesis 3, the devil, literally the one who accuses the people of God day and night before the throne, right? Satan, literally adversary, the one who's opposed to everything God wants to do, the deceiver of the whole world, right? The one who who's trying to, since he has no power over us, unless we give it the one who's trying to deceive us so that we will freely, oh my goodness, does this not ring true, that we will freely sacrifice something we already have, right? That is already ours, that we would choose to give it up. He is the deceiver. Well, two new characters join us now in our story. Now we've slid into 13, the part I have not read yet. Um, John talks about this vision of a beast. Remember that term from Daniel, right? Everyone who does not recognize that God is sovereign over the world is like a beast who eats grass and is covered with the dew of the night, right? This beast rises from the sea. Let me just take a excursus here for just a second and say there's two beasts going to come. One's from the sea, which Revelation itself says is all the nations, all the other nations, right? And Christ is going to have victory over all the other nations. But um, there, there is going to come one from all the other nations who is, even as, as the dragon represented Satan who wanted to be god now comes this beast from all the nations who wants to be the messiah and and instead of actually being the christ we call him in other passages in revelation the antichrist right now i just want to stop and say for a second that there have been many antichrists there have been many anyone who's opposed to the things of god is in a sense an antichrist but it appears that in the very end the very end for a brief period of time there will arise someone on the global scale that that will be totally opposed to the things of God there is going to be this figure that comes from the world now that is totally opposed to the things of God so we got so far we've got an anti god the dragon right and we've got an anti christ we're starting to see something happening here right in this middle section, these, these seven visions. Is this person a physical person? Is this person a particular empire or an evil spirit beyond all empires? Yes. All of the above. All of the above. And the really crazy thing, God permits, I'm saying that powerfully, permits this beast To curse his name. God permits this beast to crush. This does not make sense in my um, God's watching out for me uh, theology here, right? To crush his people. God permits this beast to control the nations that's that's what makes me think this is going to be something very visible just like the return of christ is visible there's going to be something very visible when all the nations are surrendering to this anti-christ right i want to go back for a second this permits in 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 revelation thirteen five through 8 there are many more instances surrounding this but this gives you just a little picture that i want to come back to in a little while and the beast was given. The beast didn't take it. The beast didn't rustle it. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it, look at this, was allowed to exercise. You see, there's some other figure allowing this to happen, right? And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to to make war later on authority was given it uh, even the beast has no power unless it's given that power we're going to come back to that in a minute so we have this this now this for many of us this is the first time we've heard of this person this this entity this beast that comes out of the sea out of the land, uh, out of the the nations and that would be hard enough right But there's another beast that comes. And in Revelation, when it talks about the land, it's talking about the people of God now, right? Land is such a powerful image in all of Scripture. It is the symbol that that God has set apart a people for himself. And there is another beast that rises from the land. The Scripture calls this the false beast prophet now the fact that it's called a prophet means that it's coming from the people of god right it's coming from the people of god and when you look at what it does it is just astounding we're in revelation 13 i saw another beast rising out of the earth it had two horns like a lamb right but it spoke like a dragon isn't that crazy it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. And in, in, you're starting to see this now, right? There is this false Trinity, right? This this unholy Trinity that's composed of the the Satan and the Antichrist, and now the the Antichrist coming from the world, the false prophet coming from yes, the people of God, right? And and together, they're a cheap imitation of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember what I said just a moment ago? Satan has no power over you unless you fall for a cheap imitation. And beloved, um, most of the world, in the end, will fall for the cheap imitation. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. I'm sorry. I'll just laugh right there. Um, Someone who shall remain nameless um, uh, has put me on to a cheap imitation of Dr. Pepper. Okay? Now, Dr. Pepper. Let me rhapsodize for a second about Dr. Pepper. On the eighth day... No, I wouldn't do that. Okay? Um, It's not the same. It is not the same. Dr. K... Is not Dr. Pepper. I mean, it's it's funny to think about that, right? But we fall for that cheap imitation, right? Decaf coffee is not coffee, okay? I'm sorry to break that to you, right? Don't fall for the cheap imitations because, because he has no power to make you serve him, but he will sucker you into it by the cheap imitation. And once he suckers you into it, you know what he does? He massacres all who refuse him. The whole first three and a half years of what the Bible understands as the tribulation is this beautiful thing. You I call this the tribulation. This is pretty cool. Everything's going smoothly. Everybody's saying peace, 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 right? And he's sucking us in. And then boom. And and the particular agent of that massacre is this false prophet. Those who don't worship the first beast will be slain by the second. There's always a price to pay for believers who do not worship the idols of this world. I hope I have disabused you of this already. But if I haven't, the scripture never says that you will not suffer. In fact, it says the opposite. That if you genuinely follow the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you will suffer. You may be required to give up your, your resources, your reputation, your very life. Your very life. Not only massacres all those who refuse him, but do you remember when we looked at the 144,000, God put his mark on them. We don't completely understand it, whether it's something invisible like the, the presence of the Holy Spirit or whether it's a very literal, this one is mine, Right? Like my roommates when I was in college, this, this egg is mine. It's got my name on it. Anybody else have that experience? Okay. Um, uh, just as God marked his 144,000 a few chapters earlier, the chief imitations are going to mark. And because he's deceiving them, people are going to do it. People are going to give in. Now, don't get lost in the weeds of what is this mean? This is, this is apocalyptic things. It's just, it could be as simple as uh, 666 being the, the letters that, of the Hebrew word for beast. <laughs> right? We're just going to say beast across your forehead. In other words, when you deny God's sovereignty in your life, you're like a beast. I don't know. All I do know is that that there will be tremendous pressure for you to surrender to this holy trinity tremendous pressure and your loved ones and and your your fellow members of of church should we be present in this time will suffer greatly as a result of it so these five characters what do we learn we're not through the seven visions yet so we'll pick up more next week but is there any truths that we can pick up right now this this far into our study of these things three powerful conclusions let me hit them fast and furious sorry Satan is not sovereign. Satan is not sovereign. He works through people, individuals, but also governments that function as divine authority instead of under divine authority. Are you following me? He works through people and governments that function as divine authority that want to be like god instead of under divine authority what does that mean i'm just going to take one shot right here and move on if we surrender god as authority over our nation if we and and that is the tremendous pressure we're under right now if we surrender god as our authority of a nation god cannot bless this nation right he cannot bless it blessed is the nation help me whose god is the lord right so um, so, if we surrender and, and try and take that divine authority in any of a thousand ways that we 're trying to do that right now instead of living under god 's word, living under his divine authority, then Satan will have uh, won that that skirmish but But, as we saw, God is the one who even gives him permission to do this. God is sovereign, Satan is not secondly, one of satan 's strategies there are many. And we've talked about many of them before. But one of them that's so visible here is to deceive through imitation. We saw the imitation trinity, right? This imitation trinity. Satan's strategy is to deceive through imitation. But look at the second one through. Now I'm thinking especially of the beast that rose up from the land. The beast that came out of the people of God. This, Satan also, his strategy is to use a false friend. One who looked like a lamb. But spoke like a dragon, 13, 1 and 2, right? Look like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Satan deceives through teachers who look like friends, yet speak like enemies. Check everything I say against God's word, right? Help me. Help me understand. Check everything you hear. Students in in your classrooms, when someone says something and they just speak to it and you trust this person because this is one of your favorite teachers, check what they say, not what they look like, right? Not how they treat you. Um, For the first three and a half years, you treated them like friends and then everything turned, right? Beware of false friends. But most of all, worship team, come on up if you would. Most of all, understand that Satan has been conquered by Christ, the Savior, right? And I want you to anchor yourself in that. It's already happened. I know you know the illustrations. for For like 30 years after World War II, there was a Japanese soldier on an island still fighting the war, right? Not believing that the battle had already been won. We're still fighting skirmishes even though Christ has won the decisive victory. Again, in the Civil War, it took weeks for, for the battles to stop because it took a time for people to fully understand that the war was over. The war has been won by Christ. But don't miss the back half of this. Satan is being conquered by Christians. Even as they suffer. And maybe especially. Do not misunderstand me. Don't go looking for suffering. Suffering will find you. Right? If you're faithful, suffering will find you. But understand that there is a victory being won in your suffering. We've said it countless times. God does not waste suffering. There's a victory being won. Finally, how did they do this? How did they do this? They overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb. I love this. so beautiful, right? He's making that direct illustration. I just went off camera, I realized. And, and uh, in the Exodus, they painted the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. Now, now, did it have anything to do with the people inside the door? Right? Did it have anything to do with their worthiness? Any, you know, any, no. No. It was the blood of the Lamb. And, and your victory in Christ is not won by some good behavior or something. It's won by what Jesus did. Today we're going to celebrate that. Today we don't put, don't do this in your neighborhood. It'll, the neighbors will go crazy. Don't put blood over your doorposts blood over your heart your obedience and coming to the table of the lord you're saying this is my savior my trust is not in my strength my strength is his weakness right my trust is in the blood of the lamb but they also overcame him by the word of their testimony when you speak what god has done satan falls like lightning from the sky remember when the disciples came back from their missionary journey Jesus, as I saw Satan falling from heaven, right? Um, You overcome him by the word of your testimony. And as hard as this is for Americans to hear, that we did not love this life so much as to shrink from death. I kid you not. One day, one day, either in your workplace or or in the public arena, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose uh, in what is your salvation. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he invited them to choose. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? And Paul would later say, whenever you do this, You proclaim Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, until he comes. Jesus said, I want you to choose me. Choose me. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Choose the blood. Choose the blood. The blood represented the life. Choose blood life. Choose life. Jesus, would you take the simple bread? Would you take the simple juice and make them the sacrament of the Lord's Supper so that there would be real spiritual grace for us in these elements and in our obedience as we partake of them? God, I pray for those who are just coming to that place now where they're saying, I'm ready. I am ready to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm, I'm giving up my claim to my own life. I'm giving up all the governments of the world and everything that everyone else has said. I am saying to you, you are my sovereign Lord. God, I pray that it's, whether for the first time today here or in our homes or, or whether for the 7,000th time, I pray as we lift up this bread, as we lift up this cup, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and that he would draw all men and women to himself. So take the simple bread, the simple juice, make them the sacrament. And Jesus, we will give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name.